different choices shape the market, our society, and our quality of life. That's why EuroConsumers helps millions of people in their daily choices, providing simple solutions to complex problems. EuroConsumers is a cluster of organizations, a network of people, a group established to protect consumer rights and well-being that brings consumers and companies together in transparent relationships of trust that respect their independence. Our deep understanding of products and consumption gives consumers a credible expert voice worldwide. We bridge the gap between buyers and manufacturers, between supply and demand. And in this digital age, we create opportunities for all parties to come together in constructive dialogue, partnering to build a future of better products and services. EuroConsumers has the power of a global group that believes humanity can develop, grow and change for the better and that we can promote this by uniting millions of consumers in strength and speaking responsibly for them while simultaneously engaging in relationships of trust with responsible, sustainable companies. Hello, welcome to Start Talking. Today, our topic is digital product passports. Can information power the circular economy? Hi to everyone who's watching live and everyone who's watching the recording or listening to it. Euroconsumers will be live tweeting throughout the webinar and you can follow and join in with the hashtag Start Talking. And the rest of the time and the rest of the year, you can also follow at Euroconsumers on Twitter and LinkedIn for all the latest current and future consumer news and issues. So this month's Start Talking is going to be exploring the role of data in and information in delivering a circular economy. We'll be looking with some focus at the Circ Thread project, which has piloted the idea of linking up digital product IDs with information about appliances to support a whole lifetime of repair, replacement and recycling. But how easy will this be in reality? Do we think consumers are ready for this shift and to be part of a huge new information chain? What about manufacturers? Are they ready to shift to digital product IDs? Or do we think that our take, make and dispose model, which we're all so used to, is going to be incredibly hard to shift out of? What information is useful? What do we need? And how might it be made accessible and interoperable across the whole supply and life cycle repair? So we'll be bringing in some key perspectives today from industry, from consumer groups and from policymakers to help us understand how we can make circularity a reality. So I'm going to introduce you to our participants today. We have a great team with us. We have Rembrandt Coppola, who's an environmental economist. He's got 15 years experience in the circular economy and energy sector working on innovation projects. And he's been working with the Circ Thread project. He's, which is testing out a communication platform where consumers, manufacturers, repairers and recyclers can all share critical information with the key aim of keeping products in use for longer. Next, we've got Christian Rousseau, who runs consumer surveys at the Belgian consumer organization Test Asha. He's been there since 2017 and he's particularly interested in new consumption behaviors and sustainable consumption. So welcome, Christian. Next, we've got Wojtek Sitarts, who's a policy officer at the European Commission, and he sits in the Directorate General for the Environment. He's based in the Sustainable Products Unit, which has responsibility for the eco-design for sustainable products regulation, which we'll be hearing a lot about later, and, and which covers the digital product passport. Welcome. Great to have you here. Next, we have Karina, who is from Aplia. Aplia is the trade association that represents manufacturers of home appliances. So that could be anything from a washing machine, a boiler or a um, toaster or anything you can think of, really. She leads their team's work on environmental and sustainability issues. And she's their environment policy director and has been there since 2007. So welcome, Karina. 
And last but by definitely no means least, we have Chiara Giovannini, who works at ANEC. ANEC is a, represents European consumers' interest in the process of standards making and technical standards which help deliver so many um, of our regulations in the EU. So she's closely involved with the European Commission's work on standards um, and also in committee work at SEN-SENELEC, which develops the technical standards which sit behind many of our regulations. So welcome everybody, let's start talking. Um, I'm going to, before we get into the detail of the product passports and the, and the CERC thread project, I just wanted to ask all of you in turn, what we mean or what you mean by the circular economy, why do we need it and why is information important in that? I'm going to come to you first, Rembrandt. So what is the circular economy to you? Uh, thank you so much, Liz. Um, so from a perspective of circular economy, one first goal is really to keep products in use as long as possible. And you can imagine that for every product that we can make last at least its lifespan a few years longer, maybe even twice as long, you don't have to make a new product. So this will save a lot of carbon and materials. And the second part is an economy where waste is something of the past, as everything is recycled. Okay, sounds simple. So waste is, I've heard it described as waste is a design fault. So we need to like, we need to get rid of that fault out of the system. Um, Wojtek, why, what's the circular economy strategy at the European Commission level? Why is it so important? Um, thanks so much. Um, so maybe I'll start from the perspective on why we really need to act, because there is only one planet Earth, yet by 2050, uh, it is estimated that the world will be consuming as if there were three. So global consumption of materials such as biomass, fossil fuels, metals and minerals is expected to double in the next 40 years. Uh, and annual waste generation is projected to increase by 70% by 2050. So action is crucial and can't wait. And so this is why a lot is happening um, on this area, also at the level of the, of the EU and the European Commission. And the Commission adopted actually in 2020 a circular economy action plan to promote the green transition in line with the European Green Deal and uh, also the EU industrial strategy. And so this circular economy action plan announces a whole set of actions, all contributing to reducing the EU's carbon and material footprint. So the um, aim of this plan is to reduce the EU's consumption footprint and double the EU's circular material use rate in the coming decades to put us on the right track overall to a climate neutral EU by 2050. Okay, so climate neutral by 2050, which sounds a long way off, but <laughs> is coming pretty soon in terms of what we need to achieve. Um, thanks very much for that. I'll come to you now, Karina. What specifically, I mean, what does the circular economy mean to you, but be the sector that you represent, what, what, what are we seeing there? Okay, thanks. Uh, good afternoon. Um, I think circular appliances is what we like to call them. Uh, in the home appliance uh, sector, of course, appliances are essential to all of us. Um, they save us time, they save us, save us energy, they save us water. Um, if you think about the washing machine, um, it's one of the greatest innovations of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, I don't think there's anybody who would disagree with me to say that they could imagine their life without a washing machine. Um, and your washing machine has become ever more efficient over the last decades. Um, this is not only uh, in terms of energy efficiency, but also in resource efficiency and how materials are used in appliances. Um, and circularity for the home appliance sector, it's enhanced throughout the whole product life cycle, um, from the use of raw materials, followed by the design of the product, to the production, to the use, so the energy use while it's in the home, and then to the repair and the recycling. Um, so circular appliances, they serve their purpose for as long as possible in the home, and then their materials are turned back into everyday items, such as could be benches, it could be bicycles, but it could also be back into other new appliances, such as vacuum cleaners or coffee machines. 
So in our sector, we see that there's not just one way to drive a circular economy. There's many ways towards uh, sustainable products. You can reduce the material used in products. You can use more, more sustainable materials. You can increase the efficiency of the product during their use. You can design them for durability and repairability, or you can design them also for recycling and the recovery uh, of potential secondary raw materials. In addition, there's a lot of new sustainable alternative ways of, of using products like a product as a service or digital solutions that can also contribute to a better quality of life, um, as well as to a more sustainable um, opportunity for uh, consumers. Mm -hmm. So I said about the, uh, the energy consumption, that's just one aspect. Um, but for us, circular economy, it's a multidimensional issue and sustainability um, must be assessed of, of a product taking into account all of the different ways that you can actually drive uh, a circular economy that balances material efficiency, energy efficiency, citizen welfare, safety and consumer choice. Mm. So something, a product as a service, that is that sort of leasing models where you might imagine that we hire a washing machine for 10 plus years and then yeah there's some there's some good examples for instance there's a there's a project in Belgium called the Papillon project where they are providing um uh, appliances to um certain people uh to have them on as a model for seven years where then the full service is provided by the company so uh, anything that may go wrong with the appliance is then covered as part of this service so these are different models that manufacturers are also looking at in a way but it's just one of the ways so there's other manufacturers who may be using less materials other manufacturers who may be making products that last longer so it's really a variety of different ways but they're all going for the same aim fantastic thank you um chiara to you now so tell us a bit about standards in anic um for those people who aren't familiar and how standards might actually support more circularity Thank you very much. As you mentioned when introducing me, uh, standards are used uh, to support policy and legislation in, Euro in, uh, in the European Union. Uh, ANEC mission is to represent consumers. Why do we do it? Because uh, when a standard is linked to legislation, it is uh, normal and democratic that the persons uh, who are affected by the legislation are also able to participate in the elaboration of the standards linked to this uh, legislation. Uh, the uh, one example of uh, uh, this legislation is the future eco-design sustainable product regulation. We will discuss later on about it because it's linked to the digital product passport. But I can uh, say that in general, standards can support the uh, circular economy in a double way. Uh, they can um, um, uh, set requirements for the product uh, that are uh, needed to uh, ensure that poor uh, products performing are eliminated from the market. Um, it is also essential to have uh, products that are more durable and repairable. Um, of course, according to the category of products, we have different kinds of requirements. Um, but uh, in addition to the uh, uh, longer lifetime of products, we also need to counter the uh, fashion of a, a short lifetime of products, uh, which is, of course, not part of the concept of circular economy. In short, I can say standards can be used for both the product differentiation and to help consumer make uh, the sustainable choice, but also market access. And I know that we will discuss all along uh, today where to put the cursor between the two uh, policy options. Absolutely, thank you for that. And I think, like you say, we do have this sort of almost a curse of short-lived products and we've all got used to it, I think. I, my parents talk about when things used to get mended, but it's certainly not in my lifetime something that's really a habit. So it feels to me that getting to a circular economy really needs a fundamental shift in terms of design, purchase, use, reuse, all of those things. It's going to take quite a lot to get there. I think the good news is there's plenty of smart and original ideas out there to help get there and demonstrate how it can be done. Um, and we've got a tangible example of one of those now in a project called Cirque Thread. Um, we're going to play a really short video so that you can see the concept um, of what Cirque Thread is trying to do. And then I'm going to come back to Rembrandt, who's going to be telling us more about the project because he's been involved in it. So can we show the video, please? 
If you've ever bought, repaired or thrown away a washing machine, boiler or anything with a wire, this is going to change your world. We want to give you the information you need for everyday appliances to become truly circular and sustainable. That means maximum repair and reuse, proper collection and recycling and better designs so that your appliances will last for a human lifetime. To do this, we will create a new communication channel, bringing your appliance, sustainability and circularity information in a single web page. A single web page where you can talk directly to your manufacturer to learn about your appliance lifespan, ask for repair advice and get support when it breaks. And what about directly talking to your retailer, consumer organization and collector and recycler to make your wishes for a circular and sustainable world known to them? We are building a software platform that will allow you to have this web page to give you a digital product passport for your appliance. We are CircTrad, a group of 30 organizations from all over Europe that are exploring these possibilities, thanks to 8 million euro of funding from the European Union under the Horizon 2020 program. So there's a taste of what CircThread can do. And you can find out loads more at www.circthread.com. But for now, Rembrandt, I'm going to give you the floor again to tell us some more about the project, project and the kinds of consumer products it might involve and how the digital product passport could fit into it. So over to you. Uh, thank you, Liz. So we're, we're uh, working already for two years on this, and it's a four-year funded project, uh, included with members from Aplia. We are very grateful to be working with them. Uh, and the products that we're looking at are washing machines and dishwashers, but also boilers, batteries, and solar panels. And really the aim is on can we make it easier to communicate so that we can all work together towards this circular economy future. And one of the routes to that is the digital product passport. So we can see this as a web page uh, where you can find information about your product uh, in, in more detail than you can get today on a product label uh, and statements. And it's accessible through the internet. And also you can scan a QR code on your device and access it directly. But we can go further than that. So we can also use this web page or this digital product passport as a kind of diary. So that at every stage of the life cycle, you can it can be updated the retailer can scan it and say okay it's in my warehouse and it's sold the consumer can say okay i'm using it uh, the collector can say it's collected the repairer can say it's repaired and so on and this will allow to get precise information about how long appliances last and other products uh, at the exact age of the point of repair for example mm -hmm. uh, and then it can, it can go even further we could have communication so we can ask we can get in the future we can see a consumer providing information about their appliance directly to the manufacturer, a repair logging information about repairs carried out, and a collector giving information about the state of the device, is it still working or not, when it's collected. So we are exploring these possibilities and what can work for which party and what information do you need in this project. Okay, and how does the digital product passport fit into all of this? It, it fits into that, that we're talking here about, uh, on one end, the regulation, so a European regu Union regulation that will make this uh, type of information, uh, declaration you could call it, and web page mandatory for certain products. What exactly would be required to provide? This is uh, ongoing discussions and also what's feasible. Uh, it's it's uh, very easy from the desk to say something, but when you visit the washing machine factories, we do in the in the project, you see the complexities and the daily challenges uh, just, you know, to get your affordable washing machines into your house. Um, so it's really a kind of like we can see this as a sort of much more digitized world. I think, Liz, this is the, the way we can see it. And also the manufacturers are interested in it because they want particular types of information. It's very helpful for them to make this circular journey possible. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, what did you learn about the type of information that that's really useful to exchange like if, if we wanted to build a more circular economy in the future what are the key types of information that need to be circulating yes especially i think christian will i think from our project we did a long survey uh, with uh, a lot of consumers so from a consumer perspective we can say lifespan and easiness of repair information sure. uh, lifespan when you buy it easiness of repair so you can uh, have some uh, comfort that it will be repairable easily. 
and also from a manufacturer, and this is where it becomes really important, is how do you use the product? So manufacturers really want to know what, for example, for washing machines, what washing machine program do you use? And also information that can then lead so that the manufacturer gets full visibility on the lifespan of each of their devices. We're talking about individualized yeah. tracking of the lifespan on an anonymized basis uh, based on this reporting. And that can then lead to, okay, what are the failures? So which components break most often? And can we then, and this also can then unlock, because often the problem of longer lifespan is the cost. Mm. Uh, it's not necessary that the manufacturer cannot make longer lasting devices, is that the consumer challenges paying for it, especially high-end high devices last a lot longer. And this mm. is where Corina uh, already mentioned is the Papillon project, which has a win-win in my opinion. You can provide high-end devices on a service model, so you don't own the device, but you use it and you pay per use. Mm. Uh, and you can get a high-end device, so your energy efficiency of your device is, is the best. So mm. you don't pay on the energy bill so much. And yeah. this uh, really can work, this kind of model. And it can help to have this digital product passport to facilitate this. So we can think about all these kind of new innovations that are possible. That's great. Okay, so I, it sounds fascinating. It To me, I suppose it suggests this a new level of cooperation, which we're not necessarily used to. And so I'm going to turn to Christian now, because um, the question on my mind is, you know, are consumers ready for this? Do they want this? And what would they like to see? So Christian's got a presentation um, of what he found from his survey. So I'm going to turn to you now, Christian, thank you. Thank you, Liz. Um, thanks also Rembrandt also for the great work behind the video. <laughs> um, so I wait for, yeah, thanks, Luca. So uh, that's the final slide, I'm afraid. So can you please go back to the first slide? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> excellent. So yes, I will uh, present you in brief the results of a consumer survey we've done for Secret Consortium. The aims were to define the scope of a platform linked to consumer products and explore which relevant information to include for them, and also in a more pragmatic way to determine how the platform can build from their experiences in relation to small and large household appliances, high-tech devices, and heating systems. So heating systems and uh, appliances were the two, let's say, product families in focus, in uh, are still uh, in focus in the Selectred project. So the methodology was uh, an online questionnaire uh, for national representative samples in four countries. We have collected over 5,600 uh, answers from respondents aged 25 to 64 years old around one year ago, May 22. Next, please. Yes. So among the key findings, uh, the first one regarding the current level of information of the consumers, well, there are clearly significant gaps of information, especially uh, in the phase uh, or in the experience with breakdowns and disposal or replacing products. So we see that uh, here, the, the share of people perceiving, perceiving so it's a, it's a self-perception, of course, uh, perceiving themselves as well-informed, very well-informed in the different life cycle phases. So buying a product, installing it, using it is not so much a problem for a majority of people, but when it, they, they get faced uh, with problems or breakdowns and also um, to a small, lesser extent when uh, they have to dispose, recycle and replace this product there, they, they, they know uh, less well what to do. Next, Next, please. A second finding about what to find back in a platform. Uh, well, that's quite positive. Positive message on the on the right hand side uh, graph. You see the share of consumers who would be willing to to look for information, seek information in in a in a platform like the one. Uh, of Sertwet, a uh, large majority, uh, over 70% would be interested uh, in information like repair guidance, cost, cost estimation of a repair, reliability, etc., down to life, uh, lifespan estimation. So this is a, a selection of a few items uh, picked uh, from a longer list, but they all make sense uh, in terms of, uh, let's say, circular economy or circular consumption, if we can say so. So, but when it comes to pay uh, for this kind of information, then of course, uh, uh, 
it's only one in 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 uh, five down to one in 20 consumers who would uh, be uh, ready to pay for it so that's also a, a lesson to take forward so next please so a third and final key finding is that well there is uh, about uh, how to feed and uh, what to feed, what information to feed into the into the platform. There is willingness to to perform actions, to to provide efforts on behalf of consumer to share some information that is let's say relevant for the the overall uh, aim of circular economy. So here we see that uh, between 16 to over 50 percent of consumers are willing to share information depending on the product and on the requested action. Uh, well, we see on the top of the graph that uh, a great uh, half of the consumers would easily report when they experience a problem and probably that this, uh, let's say, uh, can be uh, linked to the expectation to solve their, their problem, of course. And, and so we see that uh, reporting products when they are collected, disposed of, huh? so to improve, let's say, the logistics, etc., of, of the circular economy, is also something that can be uh, uh, set up. But when it comes to reporting habits of use every year or on a period, periodic uh, um, basis, well, there is less willingness, so there, there are also limits to, the, to these, let's say, efforts that we would request or expect from consumers uh, in terms of sharing with the uh, information with a digital platform next slide please so to um to recap a bit on the information needs assigned uh, that would be assigned to the platform when purchasing a, a new product well most important criteria would be energy consumption expected lifespan expected cost level for use and maintenance and, and easiness to repair so something that we already mentioned when using the product or being faced with a problem, the main interest is in uh, use and maintenance guidance, repair cost estimates. So that's very pragmatic, of course, very tangible uh, information. The warranties, the reliability, the repair guidance. So very, also very practical uh, uh, information. And last, when disposing, recycling a product, like in this case, uh, we, we took the example of a dishwasher they find uh, very helpful information about pickup services at home for repair or recycling, maintenance tips and advisory to maintain the product, sorry. Uh, well, uh, support to handle repairs and breakdowns or support for disposal and recycling. So to conclude with the la last slide, please. Yeah, there still there would be, I mean, it's probably more a way to to, to challenge a bit uh, the what's the next what's the next step there are clearly two barriers to to use a digital platform in in the mind of a consumers privacy is the first and main one so they are ready to interact with digital tools uh, on an animal's basis just registering products but not themselves as individuals uh, to put some figures on it, around two in three respondents having privacy concern would register products only if anonymous and the same proportion uh, for consumers or respondents lacking trust in brands. A second uh, key uh, obstacle is the cost. Uh, we've seen that uh, earlier. So there was a low willingness to pay any fee unless there are, let's say, clear benefits like useful information, information that can help them solve them pro their problems, for instance, with their products. And uh, and then while well, there are sec secondary obstacles, let's say that the fear of receiving advertisement because of being uh, connected to the platform, the lack of trust in uh, organization and brands are also uh, barriers and to a lesser extent, the lack of time, lack of reward. Uh, or the unclear benefits uh, resulting from the, the, this kind of uh, participation into a, a platform. So that's it. I will I will stop here. Uh, thank you. I think that's really interesting because it's bringing in people's attitudes towards repairs, but also the aspect of living in a digital world comes in and not wanting to be subject to advertising or losing privacy so you can't as you all these things overlap with each other don't they um 
Rembrandt, I just wanted you to come back on that. There was a couple of interesting um, figures in there. So we've got that 70% of people are willing um, to be sharing information, but a smaller amount, so 5 to 18% were willing to pay. What do you make of that? Um, what do I make? I think some parts, it's uh, very surprising to me, the 70%. It shows that at least from the survey side, uh, and of course, always it's one survey, but it's with almost like 6,000 people. So there is, um, it's quite statistically a good survey hmm. um, that there's a huge willingness for people to interact. So they want their devices and their appliances to be greener, more sustainable, and they're interested in making the circular economy work. And people willing to pay, it's normal. You know, it's like, what do you get for what you pay? It's very unclear. Um, mm. But uh, people are willing to pay a lot from the survey for for repair. So about one in five people want to purchase a repair manual or other information. Of course, we didn't specify how much. This is another question. And that gives a bit of the degree. Okay, if I can really action this and a repair manual is actionable, then I want to pay something because I can see the rewards. And, mm. uh, and uh, of course, it lasted for a lifetime. And so that gives the, a bit of the indication behind that. Yeah, so it's not, it, it's actually quite significant, I think, you say one in five are willing to pay for that. Let, let's, let's take that as a positive. Um, we're going to jump back slightly because the CERC thread is, is one use case, if you like, for digital product passports. So it's showcasing one way that product information could really drive um, a different kind of system. But I don't think we've spent that much time on what the digital product passports are. So let's jump back and we'll turn to Wojtek from the Commission, who's going to explain the main ideas behind the digital product passport, which is wider than just this project, and how that fits in with other regulation. So over to you, Wojtek, if you can, can you do that for us, please. Thank you very much, Liz. Um, yes, indeed. So the Cirque Threat project is a great example that showcases the added value of the digital product passport or the DPP um, across the whole value chain. And yes, I'll try to explain where we are with the DPP at um, EU level. So um, one of the key policy instruments in the Circular Economy Action Plan is the Eco-Design for Sustainable Products Regulation or ESPR. Um, and so it builds on the existing eco-design directive that uh, you might know that already applies to, to energy-related products and uh, many of the household appliances. And so the um, ESPR will extend this eco-design directive to also other types of products, uh, not necessarily just the energy-related products, and also extend this directive to more eco-design uh, aspects. And so the um, ESPR, um, so its aim is to make sustainable and circular products the norm in Europe. And it will do so by establishing eco-design requirements to make products uh, more durable, more reliable, reusable, upgradable, repairable, easier to maintain, easier to refurbish and uh, recycle. So that's the um, that's the main uh, objectives. And so within the framework of the ESPR, um, we introduce digital product passports. And so it's designed uh, to address the lack of consistent access to information uh, on the products that are placed on the, on the EU market. Um, and so this lack of consistent access to information so we think that it might be one of the things actually hindering higher environmental sustainability and circularity in the economy. And so it is thought to, in a way, to bring advantages for all kinds of stakeholders involved in the life cycle of products, from economic operators to consumers, which is uh, very interesting for us today, and also addressing specific needs of policymakers, customs authorities, or, or market surveillance authorities. So if that's okay with you, I'll, I'll quickly look at the first, at the business to business dimension of the, of the digital product passport. So one Please of do. the goals of the DPPs 
is to provide businesses with information they need to unlock the circularity potential of products. So we are talking about information on substances of concern that could, for instance, prevent recycling, um, information on critical raw materials that are present in the products to actually make recycling easier and uh, more economically attractive, but also information on disassembly, repair and uh, spare parts or components that will make repair or refurbishment much, much easier. Um, then there's the business to consumer side. Um, and that's another goal of the, or one of the objectives of the DPP. And as the video on CircuitJet uh, already highlighted, its aim is to make sustainability-related information and circularity-related information easily available for consumers. So this could be anything from the carbon, material, or environmental footprint of a product or water or energy use, kind of to empower consumers to make more sustainable choices when they decide to buy or not to buy a product, uh, but also relevant information on repairability, etc., that would actually make the lifetime of products uh, extend the lifetime of products because consumers would know how to repair them themselves or or through through specialist uh, um, businesses. So um, yes, there are also a couple of additional uses. So in addition to this business to business and the business to consumer dimension, uh, the digital product passport is also intended to help in the automation of customs checks for products that uh, originate outside of the EU, which is also very important to, to have a level playing field and ensure that if we have sustainability rules or, or circularity requirements, that those are actually respected for all the products, not just the ones produced within the EU, but uh, also those that come from uh, outside the EU. So overall, we think that, or and we hope that this will foster transparency um, as information will be available to consumers, but also to researchers, uh, NGOs, or we could also imagine third-party apps that could sure. use this information and uh, uh, and make it even more easily available mm. to consumers. Yeah, so it's really part of an infrastructure, and you know you mentioned some use cases there, but there could be many, many more. Um, Kiara Anek is a consumer organization, and it covers digital aspects and environmental aspects, as well as many things. What What's your take? What do your members feel about the digital product passport? As we have seen in the survey, a majority of consumer is happy to use a digital tool. There is still a minority um, who doesn't feel comfortable. Uh, mm -hmm. We need to ensure that the important information, the essential information, the safety instructions are also available uh, offline. Um, and also in uh, about the digital tool itself, we need to ensure that it's accessible to all consumers. Um, personal data protection, the survey is showing us uh, uh, that it is a concern. This is also a common concern in the digital economy in general, as it's an economy that has evolved around the use of data and personal data in particular. Consumers have understood it and they express concerns about it. Um, the solution exists and this is the application of the uh, principle of uh, uh, privacy by design when developing the tool. Um, the, um, there is a support for the uh, digital product password because it can increase the transparency uh, of information, especially uh, along the supply chain. Uh, it can be very useful for market surveillance purposes. Um, but we also we need to continue to prioritize the improvement in the product design instead of overwhelming consumers with information. Um, and by the way, I wanted to add, in addition to the, um, uh, the new eco-design regulation, 
uh, we also have a battery regulation at the European level, which is under approval, and there will be a so-called electronic record, a battery passport for um, the um, electric vehicle and light means of transport that consumers are using more and more. And I think it's interesting to uh, have a look at it. Um, uh, as we already mentioned before, standards are being developed to support the uh, digital product passport tools in terms of interoperability. Um, and we expect that we will also have standards in terms of the data to be contained. And we can discuss about it uh, uh, later on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And Karina, from the manufacturing industry point of view, are you excited about the opportunities of the digital product passport for white goods? Indeed, I think there is a there's an opportunity, um, of course, for manufacturers to improve the information transfer about uh, products, um, and this has to be carefully assessed. It needs to be assessed on a product by product level because not all information, of course, is useful or not all information is relevant for uh, promoting the sustainability of products. So therefore, we really uh, encourage that uh, it's a stepwise approach and it's uh, really assessed on a product by product basis. What would be relevant to be in the digital product passport so that it would be useful for the value chain actors? So there'd be different levels of information would be uh, needed for different users. For instance, we talked about market surveillance authorities. They would need to have a very clear picture of all the detailed information about a product sustainability, whereas recyclers may need information that's relevant about the materials and the substances in the product for recycling and recovery. Whereas consumers may need simpler and less detailed information that would help them with their purchasing decision. Um, here, one example uh, of, a, of a benefit for manufacturers could be that they could provide the manuals for their products digitally rather than in paper. So, you know, at the minute when you buy an appliance, you often have a, a wad of paper this thick with all different languages uh, of the instruction manual. This could all be put in digital format, of course, um, that could then um, also uh, be good for the environment that you wouldn't have so much waste paper. Um, of course, manufacturers will always be able to provide that in paper should a consumer need it, but there is a, a possibility here to digitalize further uh, the product information. Um, we also see that it's necessary at the same time to avoid any unnecessary replication of information that's already available uh, in a digital form. There's many databases and many information already available on manufacturers' websites. Um, one example is the energy label that you see on the appliances. Uh, under the energy labeling legislation, already manufacturers have to upload a lot of information into a database uh, about the product's energy efficiency and other performance requirements. And that can be accessed already by the consumer through a QR code on the label where they can scan that with their smart smartphone and they can see information about the energy efficiency of the product. So this same QR code should also be the one that should be linked to the information in the future digital product passport. Otherwise, it could be quite confusing for the consumer to have too many uh, information sources uh, linked to the product. So we definitely think there's an opportunity, um, but still it will take some time uh, to understand how this will work on a product by product basis. Okay, thank you. Um, and Wojciech, did you want to come back in just quickly to say whether the passport will cover household appliances and how it will. Yes, uh, thank you very much. I think that uh, is very much linked to what uh, Corinna was uh, just saying. Is um, So to reply to this, we need to understand how the ESPR, so the Co-Design for Sustainable Products Regulation, will work. So basically, it's a framework legislation, which means that it sets the framework that allows the Commission to adopt concrete measures at a later stage via delegated acts. And so those delegated acts, as it's currently the case for the Eco-Design Directive, will be product group specific. So this means that once the ESPR enters into place, um, the different measures and requirements do not apply to all different kinds of products because yeah. um, there's so many different types of products and different requirements that uh, it would be it would not make sense but the requirements will apply to um will be product group specific yeah. um and so what when we look at appliances uh household appliances and energy related products as uh, corinna said there are already requirements with respect to the energy label 
and also the April database where information on, on, on those products can already be found. And so for those types of products um, in the ESPR regulation, there might be an exception allowed uh, where the DPP, the digital product passport, would not indeed be necessary. So this is if okay. um, there are any legal experts, this is covered by <laughs> Article 8 for the of the of the ESPR regulation. So whenever we will be establishing requirements related to uh, energy related product group, then there will be the discussion whether a digital product passport is indeed necessary or whether okay. the information in the approval database is already sufficient. Okay, so there's some attempt to stop the repetition that Karina flagged. Um, I was really interested in the passport as being able to, you know, be used for customs checks, etc. Um, and we do have a bit of a problem, I think, with trust in green claims, um, which is going to get worse in the circular economy. So Chiara, do you think consumers still trust any information about green credentials? We, we've already have all these terms like zero carbon, and now we're going to have this new language all about durability and repairability. So what, what do you think consumers will make of it all? If we have the expression greenwashing, I think it answers your question, Alisa. We have reached this stage where we have this uh, washing uh, of uh, um, relevant information. That's why I reiterate our point that uh, uh, it is important to have consumer informed, but it can't be the only solution uh, to make production and consumption more sustainable. Products must become, they must become more sustainable by design. And this is what eco-design regulation is doing as well. Um, we are supporting the policies of the European Commission going into that direction. Uh, and recently we had a lot uh, of those uh, legislative proposals. Um, to substantiate what I'm saying, uh, I share with you that in uh, 2021, uh, a couple of years ago, the Commission and national authorities found that 42% of green claims in Europe were exaggerated, false and deceptive. Uh, so uh, this is uh, where we stand, um, but uh, we uh, can improve the situation. Uh, there's going to be specific legislation on green uh, washing or green claims. Let's uh, uh, put it like that. And uh, um, um, consumers have to be given the information, adequate information to make a choice. But we also need to put barrier at the uh, entry point of the market in order to avoid that the worst products are uh, on, uh, on the market. Mm -hmm. um, and it is uh, very interesting that in the project, uh, the, um, the findings are uh, that uh, consumers want to um, have information on uh, the uh, sustainability, how to uh, uh, especially dispose of the product. This is something that sometimes is a bit of a gray area. It is mm -hmm. also local information. It's not so much uh, international or European information. And so we have to take into account uh, those uh, local uh, aspects. Uh, we're producing information to consumers. We need to be mindful that uh, um, at the local level, there are different rules uh, and uh, different habits as well. Yeah. And we consumers uh, in this journey. Yeah, very true. Rembrandt, do you think that the digital product passport could actually help with verifying claims? Um, yes, for sure. It can help with verifying claims in that it's it will become a lot easier to link uh, claims and to provide the, because behind it is a whole IT and digitalization effort mm. to what you could call independent verification organizations. These already exist, but they're not yet in this uh, market surveillance authorities, conformity assessment, as the technical term is called, and uh, not just in Europe, but globally. Uh, and this can really help to provide access and make it easier for manufacturers over time. This is a step-by-step -step process. I think this is very important mentioned by Karina. Um, that it becomes possible to do kind of spot checks. So you can mm -hmm. look at the claims and is the evidence behind it available? This is the part one. And the second part is what evidence is not available because it's simply in the supply chains, it's often very difficult for to get for the manufacturer. They can go one step, but then you need to go five steps back to get to the original 
manufacture mm. a particular material for a particular parts. So this is what is known and what is not known. I think also we always talk about manufacturers. I want to add this also for the consumers. Are you actually using your device in a, in a clean way? Are you trying to repair it? Yeah. Or are you just like, oh, it's too much effort. I'll just throw it away. I'll buy a new one. So I think we also need to think about this from the consumers. Are you a green consumer? And we can also put consumer claims. I'm a green consumer in the future in the digital product passport. And then we can say, okay, if you are, we'll benefit, we'll give you a benefit. Okay. So not just businesses that need to be transparent, but you want to see yes. putting their money where their mouth is and proving that, that they are responsible green consumers. It's an interesting take. Um, Okay, we're coming towards the end now. Did anybody want to come back in on that discussion about green claims before we do that? And comment, I think, ah, the, 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 yeah, the digital product passport, it really will only be a useful tool if it can actually be trustworthy for those who are using sure. it. So I think it really has to be clear that the information uh, that is in the digital product passport is really checked for being correct and, and complete, um, other, particularly if it's underpinned by legislation. Um, so here we see that, you know, really needs effective enforcement uh, to make sure that um, those who are using the information are not being misled, particularly consumers, um, and also to help manufacturers have a level playing field. So those good manufacturers who may be providing the uh, all the good information into the digital product passport need to be able to also be clear that uh, the same is true of all of their competitors on the market. So that is something I think that we we need to take into consideration. And here, uh, we really feel a role that uh, can be done by the European Commission at European level to be able to set um, how the criteria should be implemented for the digital product passport yeah i think that that's a really good point i suppose it's like any passport when you're traveling abroad you need to know that it's actually does what it said it's doing and that it relates to the person um okay we're coming quite near the end um i just wanted to ask a sort of closing question to all of you um Wojtek, we start with you it, we've talked about the challenge of the circular economy and it feels big and it feels like we need to do something really ambitious are you optimistic that the whole suite of legislation that's in development is going to be enough to switch us because we're in a wasteful system with it's embedded and we need to change to one that's waste free and resourceful. So how optimistic are you? Well, it's, uh, it's quite a tough question. I mean, I think overall, I'm quite optimistic. Uh, but then, of course, I do not think that legislation alone uh, will be enough. Legislation is necessary. It's one part of the solution, but on its own, it's uh, probably not enough. So the EU um, actually does quite a lot to accelerate the green transition and the move towards circular economy. Um, personally, I'm quite impressed by all the changes and the, the positive drive that the Green Deal has, has initiated. And I think we're doing the best of what's currently possible given the, um, the political context. But then the change cannot come only from the EU. So the national governments also have a crucial role uh, in the timely and powerful implementation of the legislation. And so here, and I do not speak as a commission official, but as a citizen, uh, we can help influence the transition through our vote in, uh, in all the elections. And then kind of to finish, and that's like my last point, uh, again, a very personal point of view. Uh, that change, in addition from EU regulation, national regulation, change should also come from ourselves. So we can also drive change on our own level. Uh, for instance, do I really need an SUV if I live in a city? Do I really need to take the plane to go on holidays? Do I really need to have the most recent smartphone? Do I really need this bigger TV? Do I really need yet another pair of shoes or another pair of jeans? So that's some of the questions each of us should be asking because only a combination of regulation at EU level with actions at national and more local level and then very important our own actions should help us to get where we need to get. Yeah and I think without oversimplifying it I certainly know that policymakers and politicians are will notice when people's attitudes change and it won't seem quite so difficult to do these things. Um, Chiara, what do you think, um, what's the most important thing if we're developing tools like this, which um, 
link up digital and green policy? What what do industry and policymakers really need to understand about consumers when they're developing these tools? Consumer can uh, make a difference with their choice, uh, but they need the trustworthy information. Um, the uh, information that can be um, provided uh, in a digital way, uh, such as uh, the um, digital product passport, can have uh, several benefits. Um, we discussed uh, previously that it can increase the transparency of information for all the stakeholders in the value chain and consumers are at the end of the value chain, but they benefit from this increase um, uh, B2B uh, um, information flow uh, to uh, also um, uh, have uh, uh, and promote uh, circular economy attitudes. Um, I make again my point of market surveillance authorities because I think uh, um, they also play a relevant role. So it's the national authorities implementing the European legislation um, and consumers uh, can play their role. Uh, indeed about repairability, uh, they can uh, choose to repair, uh, but the sustainable choice has to be the uh, most affordable one and the uh, easiest to, made, uh, to be made, um, only to rely on consumer information um, and to expect consumers uh, to act upon it, uh, especially when we face greenwashing, uh, is not uh, a good plan at all. Um, and also, I would like to stress uh, the benefit and the role of consumers' organization, uh, because uh, um, uh, the information provided um, on the uh, in the digital product passport can uh, help uh, the consumer organization in guiding consumers and in providing additional uh, information and services to consumers. Fantastic. Thank you, Chiara. Um, Karina, what, what advice would you give consumers today if they wanted to buy a really long lasting repairable device? Well, I think design and, and product re reliability are key elements uh, for the home appliance sectors because developing consumer loyalty and trust is, of course, key for manufacturers who, of well-known brands because any shortcoming in the product quality would indeed turn consumers away from, from that brand. Um, so there's no incentive um, for manufacturers to artificially reduce uh, the lifetime of their products. And actually, we have studies that show that the average age of home appliances has not significantly changed over time. Um, the only difference being today that appliances are subject to more intensive use um, and they are offering greater performance and, and higher energy efficiency. Um, also for repair, uh, we did some uh, data gathering from our members and actually of uh, more than 90% of the repair requests that manufacturers receive from consumers actually uh, resulted in an actual repair. Um, so I think the challenge is more on ensuring that consumers have better and more ease of access to information about products when they're deciding to make a purchase. Mm. Uh, and here the digital product passport can help. Um, and if they have this information, then this can help them save money and reduce waste by extending the lifespan of their product because they can implement changes while they use their product that can prolong its life. Um, I think maintenance that can be done at home, um, you know, how often you clean the filter of your washing machine, um, how often where you store uh, your appliance, do you have it in the garage, do you have it in your kitchen, mm -hmm. all of this can impact um, how long it may last. Um, and also uh, consumers can use the maintenance tips and, and information can coming from manufacturers on, on basic repair operations. Um, here, I would just like to highlight that for home appliances particularly, there are many repairs that cannot be done in the home by the consumer uh, because they are often touching um, electronic parts. And here it's really important that the safety of the consumer uh, is not compromised and that a professional repair uh, service is, of course, accessed. Uh, and here the digital product passcode could also help because it could point uh, consumers to uh, repair services, whether they be the manufacturer repair or an independent repair service, where they can be sure that they will actually get a good quality repair of their appliance to make sure that it can uh, have a longer life within their home. Um, so I think there's plenty of things that can be done um, also by the consumer. And here we also like to encourage, as, as many of the other participants have said, the, the role of the consumer in a, a kind of circular culture uh, to also uh, do their part in making sure that appliances last longer. Yeah, that's a great point about, yeah, don't do anything unsafe, people. <laughs> um, finally, Rembrandt, I'm going to leave the last question with you. Are you optimistic that we will have appliances that will last a human lifetime soon? 
yes, I am, because first and foremost, this is an economic challenge, less mm -hmm. of a technical one. Uh, the appliance sector can already make appliances that last for decades, if not longer, for a long time. Uh, so, for example, I have a friend and they have a microwave from the 1950s and it's still working. So it's nothing new. And uh, this is the problem. The challenge is economic mostly because the high-end device, they last for, mm. I, I wouldn't say exactly like 80 years, but definitely for 30 years or more. Mm -hmm. uh, and that can be improved. So this is something that we need to solve is how can we make this available to everyone? So, and that is the key challenge. That's a really good point. So we, we have we have the products, we just need to make get, get them to the level where they're available to as many people as possible. Thank you so much, everybody. Chiara, Rembrandt, Wojtek, Karina, and Christian for your presentation. And thanks to everyone who's been listening and following and talking along with us. Um, Start Talking happens every month. We've covered chat GPT, crypto, inflation, inflation more than once because it's not going away, net neutrality, um, and so watch out for our next Start Talking in July. Then we'll take a break for the summer and then be back in September. You can stay up to date with Euro Consumers if you follow at Euro Consumers on Twitter and LinkedIn. So it's just left for me to say thank you very much, everybody, for your participation. It's been a great discussion. And thanks, everybody who's watching live or who's listening to the recording. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Power to the people. Someone used to sing. And while singing is not our expertise, empowering people, empowering you is what we do. And in tune. How? We test, analyze and compare products and services to ensure that they meet what you are looking for and comply with the law. We inform, advise, support and represent consumers. And we do this in chorus which is to say in several countries at the same time. Belgium, Italy, Spain, Portugal and Brazil. Then we dialogue, collaborate and sue companies if needed to make sure people's and your needs are in the best hands. And in the end, we improve the market and we all win. Maybe it does deserve a song. What do you think? Euro consumers, empower people, Improve the market.